you have adopted us because of the, of the righteous, atoning work of Jesus Christ, your Son. We believe because of the power of the Holy Spirit who's given us new life through rebirth. We believe that Christ has not only come and died but been raised. And we believe, Lord Jesus, you are returning again and you will make a new heaven and a new earth. And so now as we live in this broken world and the hope of the gospel, we seek to understand how we can live appropriately according to your will and your purpose. So guide us in truth now and enable us, Lord, not only to understand but to act on what is true. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you would, go ahead. Go ahead and be seated. We've been talking throughout the series. We've been talking about family is better together, about the fact that there are two, two factors that really make us who we are, nature and nurture. What we are by our nature, the DNA that's been passed to us and the personalities we've been given uh, through our inheritance of genes and, and, and other things, we have the sense of who we are, but then who we are must be nurtured. And a lot of what we are is what we are because of how it's been nurtured into us. And so you have this nature and this nurture working together to make us who we are. Now, we know those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we've been given a new nature. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been born again. And now it's vital, it's important that we now nurture that new nature that's been given to us supernaturally. We know that we do that better within a family of faith. All human beings are made in the image of God. We are all human. But wait, what makes us distinct is the way in which we are brought up, raised with the nature we've been given from our parents. God places us by design in families so that we can be nurtured. And so he does with every one of his children. The Lord God has adopted us, and we are part of his kingdom. But he calls each one of us to be a member of a family of faith, a local church, where we can be nurtured in the truth of the hope of who we are in Jesus Christ. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to pray for the welfare of our city. We are called to, to the ministry of reconciliation, to the work of being ambassadors for the kingdom of God. All of this happens better together in a family of faith. And as we live out this identity as the family of God, we, we need to understand as we as we come close to one another in authentic relationships, there are going to be times when we offend one another. There are going to be times when there will be conflict. There are going to be times when it is very difficult to remain faithful to the family because of hurt feelings. And so it is vital that we learn to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, and we learn to make peace going to be the family of faith that God has called us to be. We must nurture this nature of peacemaking, which has been given to us in, in, in Jesus Christ. If you got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and Bryce Mangold is going to read for us. So Bryce, come on up, looking good today in that suit and tie. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. We are in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, he's going to read for us our text, which is verses 12 and 13. Go ahead, buddy. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Bryce. If you would. Go ahead and, uh, and, and be seated. Listen, the, the only way 
church, a local church, can remain united and capable of fulfilling God's kingdom purpose for us is if we will learn to forgive and learn to be peacemakers. Our ministry effectiveness is dependent upon our capacity to be reconciled to one another. The world looks at the church and the world scoffs many times at this gospel that we proclaim that we believe because we don't live it even amongst ourselves. We don't forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And so it, it loses some of its punch because of when it's looked at upon in us, it's lost. It's not found because, because of our unwillingness to do the very thing God has commanded us to do, which is to be peacemakers. This gift is a glorious one. And it's one that not only blesses us, blesses our church, but it blesses the world. Remember what, what Paul told the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? We have this ministry. A, a big part of what we do is that we, we bring about reconciliation. Where there is conflict, we, we bring reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The primary broken relationship in the world today is between God and humanity. We know that God created all things to be in harmony. We know that God's design was one where there was peace. But we also know that we have all sinned against God. Please understand that every sin, first and foremost, is a sin against God. And that creates a brokenness in our relationship with God. And that's why we have this situation in our world. We have a broken world. But the gospel has come. The good news that God will forgive us by the power of his great grace, so long as we will repent and believe. There's a big difference between I'm saying sorry and repenting. There's some Christians who think, oh, I have a right relationship with God because I told God I was sorry. That, that's not... Repentance. There are some who say, well, I don't understand why we don't have a reconciled relationship. After all, I said I was sorry. Saying you're sorry does not reconcile. Repentance reconciles. If a husband has been beating his wife and he says that he's sorry and then does it again day after day, week after week, there is no reconciliation. If a wife says she's sorry for infidelity but remains unfaithful. That does not bring about reconciliation. If a child says, I'm sorry I broke our family rules, but, it's not, but does not repent, and then come under the authority of the parents and, and comply with what has been command, commanded, there is no reconciliation. Reconciliation comes through repentance. Not only an affectionate sorrow sits in our own spirit that says, I'm sorry, but more than that, a repentance that says, I will not cause that harm again. I will not offend you this way again. I am going to go a new way and a new life. Friends, that's what salvation is. Salvation is turning away from spiritual self-sufficiency and sin and saying, I'm going to trust in Christ. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask him to forgive me. I'm going to turn away from the sin that I've been doing. And I'm going to pursue and recover God's design. So... So there is peace made when someone has, who has offended another repents, says in their hearts, not only am I sorry, but I will not do that again, and will now recover and pursue God's design, which is peace in that relationship. Now, to do that, we have to make peace. There are four component parts 
Alliance of Peacemaking, I want to remind you of. We hold this as a core value in our church. Um, this is something that you've heard before if you've been around for a while. If you become a member of our church, this will be one of the primary functions uh, that you will learn in your membership orientation, and that is peacemaking. Four parts. I put it on social media. You can find this on Facebook. First of all, glorify God. If you are going to be involved in peacemaking, the first thing you have to do is say, God, no matter what I say and what I do, I'm going to seek to bring glory to you. This is not about me. This is not about vengeance. This is not about me getting getting on somebody. This is not about me being shown right or me being shown wrong. This is about me bringing glory to you. First and foremost, this is a spiritual act of faithfulness to God. Second, get the log out of your own eye. What does that mean? That means that you understand in every conflict there's two parts, your part and the other. You say, well, I'm barely responsible. Listen, if you're only 1% wrong in the 100% of that relationship, understand you are 100% responsible for your 1%. And the first thing you got to do is say, okay, where was I wrong? I got to get the log out of my own eye. I got to see what I have done that has contributed to this conflict. And we got to be aware of it. We have to repent of it. Second, we have to gently engage others. Galatians 6.1 speaks of gently going to the one who has sinned. Gently. Not with pride. Not with arrogance. Uh, not, not with this, this sense of, of showing out how right we are and how wrong they are. Gently. Gently going and speaking to the issue. That doesn't mean we lie. So many times, well, I was just trying to be gentle. And you lie. Don't lie. Tell the truth. But do it the way Jesus did it. How did Jesus come? John 1.14 says he came full of grace and truth. So we go with the truth, but we go full of grace. We go gently. And then we go and we, we, are, we are to be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. We, we seek forgiveness or we give forgiveness. And, and what has been broken is to be restored. Just as our relationship with God was restored by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the power of His blood, having repented of our sin and, and chosen to follow the way of Christ, we are not only redeemed, but we are rescued to, to pursue and recover God's Son. And so it is in forgiveness. We are free. We are free to pursue that right relationship and to strengthen it. God calls us to join Him in this work. God's doing this in the world. God is reconciling himself to the world. And we are responsible not only to share the gospel, but to live the gospel with one another and with the world. And so we are to be peacemakers in this church family and then amongst our friends and amongst our, those who are in our city. We are to be peacemakers. And our, our family of faith is better together. Write this down as peacemakers when each one of us embrace our new nature. We embrace this new nature. What are we? Look in Colossians chapter 3. I have to confess, I love using the ESV version of the Bible. I have to confess that the New International Version is a better translation of this verse. I memorized it, and it's been a struggle all week to remain within this. And so we're going to go to part B rather than part A of Colossians chapter 3, where this speaks of our identity. The, the NIV begins here. We will, we will start here as well, but understand it's in the middle of the verse. Look what it says. As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved. Friends, that is who we are. That is our new nature. We are chosen by God. 
We are made holy. We are the beloved. And so now we are uniquely capable of being peacemakers because of what God has made us. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so we must understand our new nature. We must embrace this new nature. We must understand that we are chosen by God to, to be his people for Christ. We are chosen to be holy as Christ. We are chosen to be loved in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, spells this out plainly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look, even as He chose us. Now look what He chose us. In Him before the foundation of the world, before there was space and time, God has existed. He is. He is. God is. He has been and will always be. He is. And before there was time and space, He knew that there would be sin in His, his creation. And He determined that His triune being that the Son would come and bring about redemption. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we could go to heaven? More than that, friends. We go to heaven because we've been made holy. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We are reconciled and made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by grace. All of our sin is forgiven, and we are given the righteousness of Christ. We are covered in Christ so that God no longer sees us, but the righteousness of Christ when we stand before Him. We are chosen in Him to be holy, to live holy, to be covered in the holiness of Christ. Look at this. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We are among the Beloved of God. We were chosen to be His. We are chosen to live for Him, to live in Him, to live as Christ. And we must embrace and understand that new identity and understand what we have been freed from. Many of God's children are suffering from a psychological syndrome known as the Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in 1973, they, they began to title... A, a very serious psychological problem among people who have been kidnapped or, or who were held against their will. In 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, there were a group of people in a bank who were held hostage by bank robbers. These bank robbers came in and held them for 133 hours. During that time, those bank robbers not only held them hostage, but strapped dynamite to them and threatened to kill them if any of the police came in. After 133 hours of a standoff, they were arrested. But there was a psychological deficiency that, that impacted some of those who were held hostage to the point that they stopped seeing their captors as evil but as benevolent. One lady in her sickness actually went on to marry one of those who held her captive. They became, in their sickness and brokenness, to love that which was causing them harm. And so it is with many of God's children today. We were held captive by an enemy who wanted to destroy us, who hates us, whose eternity is hell, and who, who wanted us to join him there. By the grace of God, we have been freed from the power of sin. We have been freed from that captor. And now we are free to love God. 
We are free to walk in the holiness of God. But some of God's children are suffering from the Stockholm Syndrome. And rather than loving God, there are some who still love the evil one, who still love the sin that held them captive. Friends, we must break free from the psychological brokenness. We must understand our new identity in Jesus Christ. We are now loved by the Almighty. We are now freed by the Almighty. We are now given a new life in the Almighty. Now, in our old nature, we held grudges. In our old nature, we hated those who hurt us. In our old nature, we refused to obey God. But in our new nature, we love. We forgive. We gladly submit to the authority of the Almighty because we've been set free. You must embrace your new identity in Christ. You must break free from the sickness of the Stockholm Syndrome that would say to you, trust the evil one. Trust sin. Trust what will destroy you. Turn away from that, friend. Repent of that sin. Repent of that sickness, that brokenness. And pursue the one who loves you, who genuinely loves you you and who's giving you a new identity in Christ. We must embrace that new nature and then we must nurture that new nature. Write it down. We must nurture our new nature. You would picture the, the, the very vertical sense of this relationship. We've been made right with God and now we must nurture that, that new nature. And, and the way we do that is that we we appropriately put on what Christ has given to us. We dress ourselves for the spiritual battle. Look what it says, in, again, back in Colossians 3. We're going to look at verse A and C of verse 12. It says, Put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We are to dress ourselves appropriately, understanding that, that whatever it is we are wearing, it reveals what it is we are pursuing. For instance, let me show you this. Okay, let's say... You see me out, and, and I have, this is my winter coat, right? Let's say I got my coat on, okay? And I've got on because, uh-oh. Can you hear me still? Okay, good, I didn't break it. All right. I got on my coat and my little beanie hat because my little beanie head gets cold, right? If you see me in this coat, and this is Asher's sled, if you see me in this, what would you assume I'm going to do? Say it out loud. I'm going sledding. You're a bright group. The 8 o'clock looked at me like, what? So I'm glad you're with me, all right? So, yes, I would be going, I'm dressed, I'm ready to go sledding. Okay. What about this one? All right. No This is my raincoat. My mom gave it to me. She's going to be at church today. She's going to be so excited that I still have it. I need help putting it on, though. I wish my mom was here right now. Okay, here we go. Okay, if you saw this, all right, and I don't believe in wise tales and myths and silly superstitions, so, wow, right there. What would you assume I was walking into? Rain. You guys are bright. All right, if I have the coat on, I'm expecting snow. If, I, if I've got on the jacket, all right, this is my bathing suit. All right. I'm scared. This is my favorite thing to wear, but you don't need to see that. You can see the headlines now. Minister loses his ministry. A good illustration gone bad, right? That's right. So if I got a business, I'm going swimming. So 
God has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. God has called us to be peacemakers. Now, what do we have to put on? What should be what should we be wearing? What should we be nurturing so that we can accomplish this work? This is what the text shows us. First of all, compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. Rather than judging people for their brokenness, empathize with them that they are broken. Hurt people hurt people. People who lie, people who cause cause devastation, they do it because they're broken. Because their soul is broken. Because their heart is broken. They've they've not been made right with God. So rather than judging them, rather than hating them for, for, for what it is they themselves really don't want to do and not designed to do, Show compassion. Have com- put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. We talked about this last week when we studied Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two. We are to be tender-hearted. We are to be forgiving. We're to be humble. Put on humility. We are to be like Christ, who humbled himself and, and pursued broken people by by seeking them out humbly. We are to have meekness. Put on meekness. Understand, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. When, when we had babies, I, I always love holding babies, but only after they can hold their heads up. I hate holding little babies and kids or doing all that stuff. Because we got to hold, you got to be very careful, and it requires a great deal of meekness. And so here, my big old hands, known to have fumbled a couple of times in my life, you got to hold that child so soft, but with strong hands. That's meekness. Strength under control. Coming into a conflict, there's a lot of feeling, there's a lot of strength, there's a lot of energy under control, meekness, and then patience. And patience is simply giving people time to awaken to the need for change. We have to understand that more is going on in people's lives than we know. This week, I was dropping off my son, Asher, at Natural Elementary on Wednesday, and there's a rule there that if you're pulling in, if someone needs to pull out, you wait. You you get still, the other car gets still, so the other cars can pull out. Uh, a bus pulled in behind me. I was watching the bus kind of pull in, and I was letting the other cars out, and then there was a bit of a delay because another car was coming out, and he began to honk at me, which said something off inside of me that made me go even slower through the turn. So as I began to go, after the last car went, I began, instead of turning in, I began to slowly go. He began to honk and curse at me, which my son Asher heard, and I looked over and said, have you ever seen your daddy whoop somebody? Of course, I was joking, mostly, and and it was funny because Asher actually looked back to see how big the boy was, right? Like, Dad, can you take this guy? Of course, I had already examined it, I could. And so, I went ahead and pulled it. Now, he didn't know there was a rule, I'm guessing. I'm guessing he didn't know there was a rule, and that he needed to be patient because there was something going on that he didn't know about that I was needing to deal with, which required him to be patient with me. And of course, I... I waited a little while, and then a friend from church was still needing to pull so I came to another complete stop again. Maybe I stretched it a little bit, but I know he needed to be patient. Here's what we have to understand, guys. Everybody that you come in contact with has something going on that you don't know about. 
there's something that they're held up on. It may be sickness. It may be pressure. It may be dishappiness. It may be depression. Friends, we don't know. But here's what you can be confident Every single person you're going to come in contact this week has something going on in their life that's hard. So put on patience. Put on patience and know that they're trying to catch up. There's something that they've got to do. And, and, and as we put this on, we nurture this nature, which allows us to live out our new nature. Write that one down. So we embrace our new nature. We nurture our new nature. And now we live out our new nature. Look at verse 13 in Colossians 3. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What that means, friends, what that means is that we need only give to others what God has given to us in Christ. What has God given to us? He's given us mercy and grace. Do you know what those are? give you a simple definition of mercy and grace. When you're talking about the forgiveness of God, talking about mercy and grace, Scripture uses so what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. We deserve ignorance from truth. We deserve darkened minds and souls. We deserve to be lost. He has not given us what we deserve. More than that, grace, getting what we do not deserve. What we do, what do we not deserve? We don't deserve to be children of heaven. We don't deserve a new heart and mind. We don't deserve a local church family. We don't deserve the truth of His Word. We don't deserve it. He does. He not only does He not give us what we deserve. He also gives us what we cannot earn. This is grace, and this is what we are called by God to give to others. God looked at God probably, both on many levels. But that's not mercy. And by the way, if you're driving that bus, you need to get saved. But I'm going to stop talking about that from this point on. Who is it that that you you could be mad at? Who is it that you could hold a grudge against? Who is it that you could build a case and, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you've already built the case against them in your own mind. Give them mercy. Do not give them what they deserve. And then give them grace. Give them the hand of fellowship. Give them a holy kiss. Give them forgiveness and a restored relationship. Now here's what I know. This is a fact. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have the mercy of Jesus, if you've not received it, if you don't have the grace of God given in Jesus, you can't give it. So some of you, before you can save your marriage, before you can save your friendship, before you can save your family and bring peace, you first need to be saved. You need to receive forgiveness and grace by repenting of your sin and pursuing the power of the gospel in Christ, a new life. 
Now, some of you have received that. Are you giving what you've been given? Or are you holding grudges? Are you keeping accounts? Are you making a case for further reasons why that relationship should be broken? I know that many of you, like me, know of relationships that are being broken by the destructiveness of unforgiveness and sin. Friends, we need to pray for them. We need to ask for God's divine favor, divine intervention, to do what only God can do. And then we need to be peacemakers. We need to glorify God. We need to gently go. We need to bring grace and truth. We need to ultimately go and be reconciled. We need to help people with that. And that begins by praying for them and being reconcilers, having been reconciled to Christ. And I want to invite you, as we sing in just a moment, to pray. You can come forward, you can sit down, you can grab the hand of a friend, a family member, and say, pray with me. And then pray for those you know that need it. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we have this time now to reflect on what, what it is you've done for us how you have so graciously and mercifully provided forgiveness to give us a new life. And Lord, there's some marriages and some families and some friendships that need new life. But first, there must be salvation. There first must be peace, reconciliation, grace and mercy. I pray for some today who need to receive your grace and mercy and be saved. I pray for some today who need to give your grace and mercy need to seek from others grace and mercy by repenting of their sin. And then for those who need to be prayed for, God, hear us as we pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray as we sing together.